Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody, here we are, West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak brand camo, the Gamekeeper Studio. And, Lanny, I'm seeing lightning bugs, and I'm smelling honeysuckle. It is winding down. But I think, you know, it was pretty strong for the, uh, last week in the Alabama season. Had a little cold snap, and a couple of people ended up finding some goblin birds. But I definitely, from my perspective, what do you think, Dud? It's winding down. It's over with. Obviously, we can't hunt anymore. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> move on to something else. Move on to something else. <laughs> so what's on your agenda? What you moving on to, Dud? Um, you know, I, I kind of ended the season doing a bunch of public, so I hadn't been to my farm uh, in at least a couple weeks. So. You thinking about food plotting a little bit? Food plotting, salt, which I should have already done. That kind of thing. I got that free burn this year from my neighbor setting his yard on fire, so I don't have Sweet. to. I don't no have tits. to. I don't have to do any growing season burns. Thank uh, you, neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> that worked out. Yeah, things just always work out. I for know. For they, they, they just always line up for him. I don't know what it is. Yeah, just, somebody probably put some salt licks out for you too. Without no, it. they hadn't done that. Just a bunch of empty holes in the ground. Yeah, I but your neighbors have probably put some salt licks out for you, though. Maybe so. So, yeah. Maybe so. I found some neighbor tracks cutting through the middle of my place last time I went. So that's kind of I, I hope it was a neighbor. Mm. Well, speaking of seeing that, um, you know, a little bit later on, we're going to uh, mackle when we bring up the commercial, but it'll be about Spartan cameras, and that's what you need to have. That's probably there, I need to move my Spartan camera to that spot yeah. so I can see see who's – who the perpetrator is. Mm. I love my Spartan camera. They're good stuff, that's yeah. for sure. So today we've got Dr. Bronson Strickland, who I, I would venture to say he's been on more than anybody else. I think he, he likes our yeah, podcast better than his. Yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Easy landing. Easy. Bronson Strickland. We just, uh, we, we're, we always love having you here. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure having you. I appreciate it. I always love being here. So you thank know, you. I was uh, eating supper in Starkville a few nights ago, and I heard some kids. Uh, I say kids; they're college students at a table. Young and they adults. Were, they were complaining about Bronson, about what? how tough mm. he was, and just, Did you bust that crowd up. I, I, I said, "Are we talking about the same guy?" Hold Kinda, up. And they said, "Yeah, he's just—he's hard." <laughs> you, you misunderstood. It was Steve Damaris oh. they were talking about, not me. <laughs> well, so look at the, here at the beginning. What, we're going to talk about summer food plots, yeah. And then Bronson did a lot or, of research. Or wouldn't it be warm season food? Warm plots? There you go. Isn't that how you refer to them? That, that, warm this season. Is, see, food I'm listening plots. to you, Bronson. I've been listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Warm oh, season okay. food plots. Thank you, Lanny. I Thank, appreciate you. I'm glad that. I got to add something yeah. this week. So. Uh, and, and then, and then Bronson did a, a lot of re- or Mississippi State did a lot of research on cool season food plots. Hey, look at you! Uh, and, and we'll get him <laughs> to kind of share his what what the, what they learned. From yeah, I'm that. excited to hear about that. It's always good to. So I'm sure you're doing the cafeteria test and all that good stuff. And some of that, right? Some of that, uh-huh. always. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But before we go too deep down that that rabbit hole there, Bronson at lunch a few weeks ago introduced, maybe it's been a month ago, introduced us to this app called Merlin. Oh, man. We've all used it. I love it. And we've it's just the most amazing thing to learn about birds in your area. Mm-hmm. You just turn it on, and all of a sudden it starts telling you what birds you're Yeah, hearing. you do hit the little voice ID button. It'll pick up all the sounds around you. I guess it compares to some kind of database they Database created. they have, yeah. right. And it cranks out, you know, what the bird is. And then you can go back and touch the bird, and it'll play its call again. 
And it tells you about the bird. Yeah. And if it's rare or if it's a common bird, I mean, it's just really, I would encourage people to get this. It's fun. But what I wanted to and do. And we're not, we're not sponsored by me. No, they we don't have anything like to do with these guys. So, <laughs> so, but, but we're accepting offers. <laughs> yeah, if they want to be associated with us, that, that's something. But what I thought would be fun, and guys, just go with me here for a second. I thought Bronson could turn on his app since he knows how to work it better than anybody else. And each one of us, Mac included, would yelp one yelp. time and see Do we have to if, yelp? if uh make a turkey noise yeah. and see if it picks us up. If, if Merlin picks us up, it recognizes us as a turkey. And obviously, Mac forgot his turkey call because so. he just left to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot mine too. I'm barring bandies. So why don't we let Dudley go first? You're first in line, Dudley. And uh, I'm I'm actually a little nervous. I've never played a turkey call in front of an audience, but uh, here we go. Are you? Oh, wait, wait. Are you going to use a mouth call or a pot call? This is my call? pot call. It is a oh, look at Bobby Cody Bobby. Turkey Calls Gamekeeper. Our buddy Bill Zeering. Slate. <laughs> uh, it looks like it's over uh, some kind of oak, maybe ash. It's glass. Soundboard. It's glass. I mean, glass over oak. Yeah, it's a soundboard. Uh, any of those Bill Zeering made calls, these really good. And no some kind of diamond wood striker. I don't, I don't know. But uh, anyway, you going to do the kiki cackle fly down or? The, Cluster. What oh, is the, it? The, the kiki cackle the, cluster. The, the, All right. So, bro, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Bronson, are you rolling? I'm rolling. Okay. All right. right. Here we go. Let's everybody be quiet. That's pretty good, Dudley. No! <laughs> Where'd you get there, Bronson? Says unrecognizable. And then it said, oh, then it just popped up and said uh, American Crow. Ah, oh, there we go. Oh, he made that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lanny, you want to go? I'm, I'm, you're going next. Am I going next? Yeah. I want to try my scuffed Let's, mason jar at some point. Bobby has, I've expected, I can't believe you He's got a pre-moistened old, old, uh, mouth yelper. Are your reeds separating? Well, wouldn't you prepare for this if you were, knew you were <laughs> going to do this? So. All right, so here we go. Mac, you'll be next, so get ready. This is a, this is the Bobby Cole Pressure's mouth Pressure's on. Don't, don't make any squeaky noises. Oh, here we go. Shut up. What's it saying? <laughs> Bronson, what's it saying? Wild turkey. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. Okay. He right, beat so it. He beat it. His head is so no, big right now. I tried everything but a mouth call. Well, literally no. not show up. All right, so ladies, your, your time. I don't have my mouth call. Somehow I'd use a box. Well, it won't work. I tried it. You ready? We're ready. Do I have to yell? I'd back away from the microphone a little bit. It's picking you up, Lanny. Again, unidentified. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, Mac, now you're our last host. Mac here. has a mouth Mac call. Mac has a mouth call. I'm going to get my mouth call if it registers him. I, you know, I, don't, I gave you guys fair warning. Do you have a mic? Okay. This is completely rigged. How could I rig this? <laughs> Tell me, Bronson, how could I rig this? Bobby did not. I know he would have tried. If there was a way to do it, he would have tried. I did this. not rig it. So, it's legitimate. So, Let so me borrow my, your mouth call. My, who are you? You're welcome. <laughs> my call is the only one that registered on there. Got yeah, proof right there. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it. All right. Well. Yeah. Oh well. That right. hurts. Okay. That hurts. Well, let's let's move. Thank you, uh, Bronson. You're for welcome, that Merlin. That and being the fair judge that you are. So, uh, Mac, have you got a commercial for us, real quick? I do. Uh, with the turkeys trying to secure breeding opportunities passing by us uh now's a good time to go ahead and get your spartan cameras rolling uh in preparation uh it, you can go to go.spartancamera.com uh really getting your deer on the the salt licks and bio rocks and your full potential minerals 
uh, now's just a really good time to go ahead and prepare. Yeah, so I, let me tell you what I would be thinking about, guys. And I, I did this this weekend. I put my cameras a little lower, and I put them in some areas where I thought Mama might drag some poults. Ah. And, and hope, you know, I got a couple of hens nesting in a spot, and hope that I might get a Mama and some poults. That, that's, what I, that's what I did. I'll add that uh, the mulberries are approaching ripeness mm-hmm. right now. I have some in my yard. So I would suggest, I believe one of our listeners, I think it was Will Stevens, sent in a video last year of turkeys all oh, up in flopping up in that mulberry. mulberry. Yeah, that's pretty so crazy. If you've got a couple of mulberries, that might be a good spot to put them as well. Yeah, <laughs> it sure would. Well, they're good cameras, so y'all check out Sporting Cameras. So, all right, let's move on. Bronson, we are so happy to have you here. We wanted to start going down the road of warm season plots. What do guys need to be thinking about now? And let's talk about in terms of the northern latitudes and the transitional zones through Kentucky and that part of the – and then the south. Okay. <clears throat> well, let's let start with uh, bread and butter. Let's start with, with the south. Um, I think the very first thing you need to be – Concerned about oh he's he's gloating God, yeah I'm he's, sorry. he's gloating sounded right. so good I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is uh, get, getting your field or your plot ready in terms of you know, conventional agriculture tillage stuff like that are you going to burn it down with glyphosate or, or things like that so I guess the issue number one is your soil ready and prepared for planting and then it just really gets into as we've discussed before there's a lot of different warm season or planty summer plants it's just figuring out what is going to work best for you and so soybean is always a favorite it's probably one of the best in terms of uh, deer being attracted to it and in terms of, of quality of the plant but a lot of people can't get soybean out of the ground and that's all relative to the number of deer you have, the size of the plot, and the available plant community or forage habitat around you. So then typically you, you kind of step it down relative to that. And so it may be cowpeas, it may be something like Alice clover. And, and so those are all, again, really good warm season deer forages. It's just that with soybean, they come out of the ground so palatable and so sought after, deer will love them to death inside of a month. Mm. And some of the other plants aren't as palatable right when they're growing, and that's what gives them the opportunity to get established more so than others. What size plot at a minimum for soybeans are you thinking? It, it's really tough to generalize, and so it's kind of if you're using average deer density and average habitat quality, I mean, over 10 acres. I mean, you can see some of these. And, and, and a lot of people look at a five-acre food plot and think it's really, really big. And for most people, it is. But it, it's not for soybeans. Yeah, it doesn't seem like, you know, you can go five acres in an average scenario, but they typically are not going to make a crop of beans. They, they eat on them all summer, and then you, you show up and late September, and it just looks like dirt and stalks. That's but exactly they've eaten right. on it all summer. But you're not necessarily after the bean, are you? Well, you, you, you can be. Mm-hmm. So in, in a perfect scenario, you're going to have, during the growing season, deer are going to be seeking that uh, the, the foliage, mm-hmm. the, the protein from that. And then if it produces seed, produces grain, you can leave it standing, and you see this in the Midwest all the time. And then you have a very high carbohydrate mm-hmm. standing there. And then what a lot of people are doing very successfully is interseeding or top sowing something like a clover on, on top, top of that. Of yeah, same same thing with corn as well. And so you can have the best of both worlds, have a grain and then also have a cool season clover or something like that underneath. You know, there's uh, there, you see a lot of farmers that have know how to time it when they – don't they spray something to defoliate their beans in these big fields? And so a, a lot of them we're hearing about, guys, are, they're – they're using our product called Maximum, and they'll throw those seeds right before those plants defoliate, and then those plants defoliate on top of them and give them a little cover, yeah. and then they end up having that Maximum growing in the bean pod still hanging there, and it, boy, that makes a fantastic food plot. Yeah. Is there a proper ratio, if you've got a finite amount of food plots to plant, how much of that would you plant in spring in cool season forages versus warm season forages? All right, so 
perfect world, which rarely exists, mm-hmm. is you, you want to, to maximize your, your warm season plantings and your cool season plantings. What, what we would recommend is that you have either different ground for warm season or cool season or have a system where you can blend both of those. And a lot of people do that. We've been tinkering with it a little bit. But the main reason is think of it this way is especially with conventional ag where you're going to be disking it up and starting over is that you don't want at the end of summer bare ground and you don't want the month of May to have bare ground. You want those overlapping in your production. So they go 12 months out of the year you're providing food. So if you have enough acreage and you can have dedicated warm season area, dedicated cool season area, that would be the best thing to do. But, but here's the deal. Even in your dedicated warm season area, you may not be getting any more production out of that until frost. So uh, say if you have, have a forage like uh, a deer vetch or something like that that really grows well, even at the end of summer, at the very first frost, it's going to fold up and die. There's no reason you can't go in and overseed in those areas a cereal grain and a clover and then also have a cool season plot there as well. So there's an easy tra- – it just transitions, just transitions. from one to the exactly. next. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Without having to till up the soil. Dudley, you should love that. Oh, yeah. Farmers yeah. farmers have been doing it forever with cover crops. They just uh, fly something over. Right, uh, right. And it works really well. And, and that's another reason. It, it's not about the, the land, uh, Lanny, but it's about the, the timing issue mm-hmm. is. And that's why we're always emphasizing, too, is, is adding a clover – and it's either going to be add a perennial clover into your mix so that during May and into June you still have food or an annual late maturing clover. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get into your uh, arrow leaves or a bursim or a red. And so in that, even though it's a cool season plot, literally in June you can still have clover growing over there. And then if you're going to try to plant soybean over here, you have some other forage on the landscape to buffer a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if you have nothing at all you're producing and then go try to plant four acres or three acres of soybean, good luck. <laughs> hey, this is Bobby Cole. One of my favorite things to do as a gamekeeper is planting food plots for my deer. My Onyx app helps me to determine the exact plot size to make sure I'm applying the right rate of biologic seed and fertilizer. Try it out for yourself and see. Use coupon code MOSSYOAT to save 20% on your subscription to Onyx. So we've got a little clover, so white ladino, we call non-typical, that we think fits the bill as well, mm-hmm. if not better than any of those that you just mentioned. But what it what it does, I, I was looking at some this weekend, Laney. It's not even starting to bloom yet. Mm. Not mm-hmm. even starting to bloom. But you look, the red clover on the side of the road, yep. it's, it's, it's over everywhere. Yep. Yeah, so I love that fact about our about our clover. So, well, it seems the more you know, we've been in this food plot game a long time, and, and I have just looked at it as cool and seen. Uh, well, it was summer and fall. Now it's cool season and warm season. But you know, obviously, to your point, Bronson, we got to throw clovers in there, and it's like a, a category into itself. Absolutely. You know, and as time goes by, and we learn more by doing more. I, I, I value clover more today than I did probably it works 10 for years you. ago. You know, I mean, it, it really it, does. It's just a fantastic product. And it, it deserves to be on your farm in some capacity. If you got to yeah. pick one, I mean. Whether it's a dedicated white clover perennial plot or whether you're using it in a mix, I think people neglect the, the utility and usefulness of it. And it, it really depends on the severity of summer and temperature and rainfall. But you're talking that you can easily get nine or ten months production out of the year once you get it established. And there's not a lot of forages, of course, you, you can, you can say do that. that with, yeah. No doubt about it. You know, and in the deep south, it may be, you know, depending on how soon it gets really hot, it may stop producing in July or August or something like that. But there's there's also some other summers where it's wet and cool where you, you can get production pretty much year round. So mm-hmm. that's unique. Yeah. So let me ask a quick question, Dolly, before, before we I'd like, love to know your thoughts on the the glyphosate resistant beans. Or, or do you have any hesitancy planting that for any reasons, and or, or would you just go with the traditional bean? Um, well, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm not an herbicide expert, so I, I will just give you my opinion on based on what I know. 
in terms of food plots, what we're, we're messing with, I guess we haven't done it enough or we're not at a place in terms of relative to agriculture where we are seeing any weed resistance relative to that. However, move to the Delta or someplace like that, there are genuine, of course, concerns about weed resistance and so forth. So for me personally, at this point in time, it, it's not a concern. But but I certainly agree with people. So you so be. you plan it. You, yeah. You, you use it. And you and, and is there any concern that you're spraying this on the plants and then the deer eat, eating the plants and then you're eating the deer? Not, not with me, no. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just asking. That's a good question. Yeah. Because there, there are some people that, that, that think that there's a problem, and I just I'm not sure that it's. Uh, I don't think it's any. I don't I don't see it being harmful to the deer herd. I, I don't either. That's not to say there there could be some other herbicide or pesticide that may be, but I haven't seen any evidence to really suggest that this is an issue. You know, uh, hurting the deer and then hurting us consuming the deer. Yeah. I haven't seen anything. And then to circle back to your that weed resistance, you're probably referring to pigweed, and that's very common in some of the larger agricultural regions, and it's res, it seems to be resistant to yeah. the glyphosate. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so in those cases, yeah, you have to switch it up, and you have to rotate your, your herbicides. So wouldn't you say that these glyphosate-resistance, um, these game-changer beans, if you will, uh, once, they're, soybeans. Yeah, once they're, they're planted, though, but it makes kind of a average food plotter, a guy, if he sprays a couple of times, he can really make his plots look fantastic and, oh, weed, yeah. weed, and weed free. Yeah. Yeah. Clean it up very yeah, easily. With, with and beans, you almost have to, yeah. you know, if you, you go and plant soybeans without any type of uh, weed control, uh, it's going to be a bunch of foxtail or something else. Uh, and it's never, never really going to make. Lanny, you got a question? Yeah. I was just, you know, we're on the soybean topic right now. I, just Bronson, can you help people understand the difference between, an agricultural soybean and a forage soybean, and yeah. and your opinion on what's better for whitetails? <clears throat> well, I, I, I guess they're both going to produce a bean or, or a seed. It's really just how quickly they're going to do it. And again, I, I'm getting out of my lane here because mm-hmm. we're getting into agricultural stuff. But uh, as I understand it, it's relative to what is the length of your growing season, how quickly you need to produce a bean, say if you're going to double crop or something like that. But what we typically are talking about with a forage bean is indeterminate growth. And so it's going to continue to grow and produce foliage. And for us, forage biomass, it is still going to produce a seed at the end. But it's almost like, and I'm not using the proper botanical terms here, but it's almost like there's a point in its growth cycle where it stops allocating as much energy to foliage and it, and it redirects it all in, into mm-hmm. seed. Whereas indeterminate growth, you keep producing that, that forage production and simultaneously at the right time produce seed. Produce seed. Yeah. So is a forage bean a better uh, protein source for whitetails than an agricultural bean? I wouldn't say protein source. I would say the amount of forage biomass produced over the growing season would favor an indeterminate growth or a forage soybean. Yeah. That's what I meant to ask. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. You know what I said? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Bronson, Mike. Mike Chamberlain just texted me, uh-oh, and he uh-oh. said to tell you or to remind you that your lane is the slow lane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he knew that, but yeah. these, these they're ruthless. They get my But yeah, like typically the forage varieties are going to get taller, uh, larger leaves, and then the the ag type varieties they go by group, um, and that can even be a little bit confusing to me, but. A lot of it has to do with with when, when it matures. But in, in my the, mind, the ag beans they want them to you know they want to make a, a big plant that takes on a bunch of energy that's able to make a bunch of bean pods because they want as many seeds as much volume as of sure. seed as possible. But as wildlife managers, we're not necessarily looking for that. No, but you know, deer sure do love eating a bunch of uh, beans in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. So, but that's the carbohydrate source you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but you'd have to have a bunch to make a, yeah, a, a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. and that—that's. Uh, I was just trying to get you know to the core root of why it seems like we favor a forage bean over a traditional agricultural bean for uh, for warm season 
um, food plots. Well, I right. think that's the, the plant breeders. You know, if you're working for agriculture, like Dudley was referring to, the, the commodity is bushels per acre of seed. Of bean, They're trying right. to maximize that. For a deer manager, we it's forage. It's tonnage right. of forage produced. Right. Yeah. yeah. So when we when we got with Stratton and started working on the the beans that we offer. Uh, we were trying to get the best of both worlds. We want that longer growing season, the larger leaf, Later. higher volume of, uh, of browse, forage, mm-hmm. uh, but also make a crop of beans if, if it can. So, yeah. So, Bronson, let me ask on, on this. Thank you, Dudley. That if, uh, protein peas, iron and clay peas, really, really popular. We have a blend. We call them protein peas, and we really like them. But sometimes you'll see... Uh, deer just annihilate them as soon as they come up. Mm-hmm. And then other times you'll see where they the deer herd allows them to bloom and actually make pods, and then it seems like overnight they go in and eat all that tonnage down at one time. What's going on there that causes that uh, that, that event to happen like that? Um, in, in my experience and other people, it's uh, typically the very first time and— we're going to throw out a, it depends. Mm-hmm. This may be one Absolutely. of 20 times I'll <laughs> every say time. it. This reminds me a lot of At least one yeah. every time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you're first planting some, something like cowpeas and the deer aren't used to it, um, it appears not to be as palatable to a deer while it is growing. And, and there appears to be a switch in the palatability, whether it be the quality or some type of secondary compound, whatever's going on. When it flowers, it becomes a lot more attractive to the deer. So the way we think of it is, if a deer has a choice, so we're not talking about starving deer, they have a choice of something else to eat, they may not choose to eat the cowpea while it is growing or while it's young, but when it flowers and becomes more palatable, Bobby, that's like you say, you see that all the time. In one weekend, they, they hammer it. But what you'll also see is in year two or year three, when you're planting the same cowpea on the same plot, deer become used to it. And I have literally had cowpea plots look just like a soybean. No doubt. Plot yeah. One month down the road where they hammered it. Yeah. yeah and sunflowers are the same way. You can, The first oh, year you usually can make a pretty good crop, and then the next year you... It's over with. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. So boy, those, when those deer decide they're going to eat something, that's why the word forage is so important because exactly. it's to produce that much forage to try to... I and that's why we source forage varieties. It's a lot different than garden variety. That's right. And I've just personally for me, the way I've always under always made it work in my mind is I wanted to try to overwhelm the deer herd with groceries. Good, with groceries. Yeah. And that then really the only way to do that in my mind is out of these forage varieties. So All right, well, let's, Dad, let's we're talk about forage. Let's I want to hear about this study. Well, yeah, okay. Well, let's move what, right there. That, How did that go too this, fast? this no? Was that your question, Dudley? No, I was, <laughs> I was just going to ask if, if there's anything uh, up and coming or anything you guys have been experimenting with that that seems to work better, like in smaller plots mm. uh, in, you know, like in a slightly higher population. Yeah. And I, I'm talking about food plot stuff, not not necessarily the wild type stuff. But yeah, I, I think the the. Two things we've been looking at and researching mo- most recently, and, and this has not culminated in a big published study right. yet, but, yeah. but we're working in that direction. Uh, we've been looking at planting techniques and, and planting rates. And let me start with the planting rate first. And uh, so this was our third year of doing this, and we still have some number crunching to do. But you have heard people like me. I know I have said it. I have written it down many, many times Is Always use the prescribed planting rate. That has been researched, and that is what you're supposed to do. So 120 pounds per acre for wheat, for for example. You don't need to go above that. Well, you start digging into it and thinking about it is a lot of these seeding rates were based on bushels per acre of production when it's time to harvest. And we're not thinking about in December— So your typical deer hunter doesn't give a rip about how many bushels per acre of seed is produced. It's forage during during deer season. And so we tinkered with that for a couple years, doing the prescribed rate, double the rate, and triple the rate. And what we did, of course, see is, is during hunting season, when you double the rate, that gave you, of course, 
a lot more biomass. It wasn't, you didn't overseed to the extent that there was competition mm -hmm. at that point in time where they were limiting each other. You were providing more forage biomass, but once you got to the end of winter and into spring, they did begin competing. And so when you got to like say March and April, there's really no difference at all in the seed production or even the forage biomass production of 1X, 2X, 3X because of, of, of competition. But there was, when the plants are only this tall, they weren't competing with, with each other. Does, does that make sense gotcha. at all? So yeah. when, they're, when they're short, it's okay to overseed because they're, they're not out, out competing each other. But at the yeah. end of that. Especially because the deer are going to be eating yeah, on it all winter. On them, yeah, That's right. Keeping them browsed back. That's right. But uh, as that plot matures, what occurs? That's when plant competition occurred. And so the later and the later, and mainly we're talking about late winter, early spring, by that point in time, there was very little difference in the biomass produced because now we're getting bigger plants, bigger roots, and they're competing against each other. Mm -hmm. So this is c cereal grains. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh -huh. Okay. I, you ought to mention something about how we're feeling that uh, brassicas, you know, you need to plant fewer of them. Yeah, well, just so, the opposite. Yeah, that, that's, that's what we're exactly that's opposite. what we're learning. And you know, early on when we started um, with uh, with biologic, we were we were thinking about a guy that's out there that doesn't have a lot of agricultural skills and a rough or equipment uh, equipment mm -hmm. uh, sites, you know, log you know, index. The, that's right. And the plot, the the seed bed may not be. So we had. Uh, we had uh, put a little extra up, in there, upped our rate yeah. a little bit, and we're <laughs> learning now that less is more. Right, yeah, and, and we and we've seen it, but now we're just trying to. We're, we we now we we've got some ideas about how we could adjust some of those rates. When I'm talking about brassica, uh, but like the biologic, the maximum, uh, the winter bulbs, mm -hmm. th th those type blends. So, and oh, they're so good at sucking the nutrients out of the soil. I mean, yeah. they're kind of their own worst enemy in that scenario. If you plant too many of them, they Deplete this hole. That's right. And so by the time December would get here, it, you could see that they were really stressed. And, boy, that's when we want our food plot looking the best. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, and, and if you see some of those forage-type brassicas growing and you see how big and leafy that they get, it, it does make perfect sense. And not even limiting the adjacent brassicas, but limiting the other forages yeah. that you, you have with them, right. shading and out and out competing your clovers, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the going back to Lane's point, this trial thing that you guys did this winter, could you kind of give us an overview of that? Yeah, so we basically were looking at uh, again different types of planting rates. We're again trying to find what is the sweet spot, not for again an agricultural producer, but but for a deer mm -hmm. hunter, how to make the optimal plot then. And and then we've been tinkering with. Um, and we are just at the very tip of the iceberg and really trying to, and Dudley, you'll like this. I've heard you talk about it many times, but uh, trying to understand the non-tillage. What can you do with non-tillage? And we, we don't have a drill. We don't have access to a drill for a lot of our plots, but hopefully we're going to be getting one pretty soon. We've been tinkering a lot with just top sowing or just broadcasting on untilled ground. And so... We've done some summer plots that way. We did some cool season plots this year. And we were really surprised at, um, at, at what we got, the response we got out of the untilled versus the tilled. And as you might imagine, it makes perfect sense that what responds the quickest is seed on a tilled soil with the ideal seed bed and so forth and cultipact. You know, it does. It responds. Sure. It, it'd be the same way like we did this as well is, is if you uh, drop seed on top uh, of the soil versus using a drill. Well, the drilled seed is going to respond earlier. But essentially, when you get a month or two, and it all depends on rain and temperature, get a month or two down the road, it was hardly a discernible difference huh. at all. And that, to me and us on the ground we work at, it gave us a lot of uh, hope because I don't know about y'all, but the soils we work with, uh, very clay, very acid, hold a lot of water. And it was very difficult this past summer because it was so wet. We were like a month later getting onto the field and planting than we traditionally do. So we're thinking, man, this just really opens up a lot of opportunities for 
rather than having to have a tractor getting stuck, which it did, is that we can run an ATV over it and, and still get a pretty good stand. Yeah, I tried to plant trees out there one day a few years ago, and that stuff yeah. was tough. If it's wet, it's really, really soupy, wet, and when it dries out, it is tough. Yeah. So y'all have some plots, I'm just imagining my mind, where you went in and, and probably burned down and sprayed, uh, and then just broadcast the seed over next to a plot where you've tilled and done mm-hmm. the same scenario. Right. And right. after two to three months' time, you couldn't tell a difference between the two. It's hard to tell the difference. Nice. That's right. Mm. That's right. And so what, you know, some things we're going to tinker with, there's a lot of different things you can do with that. You know, it's probably an infinite number of combinations you can do, but you got the traditional where, say, you would burn it down with herbicide or literally burn it down mm, with, a and, match. And, with a match. I love and, that. And till and plant <laughs> and cultivate, or you might have an adjacent plot where, you just burn it down, match or herbicide or both, and then you just broadcast on, on, on top of that. And so there's so many different, and then there's some scenarios where uh, you just spread the seed, right? You know, on top, and and you're going to get some response with that too. Yeah, especially with knowing that a frost is coming. You know, you can time it properly. Uh, you know, maybe hope that it's up for three weeks, and then the frost gets all the warm season stuff. But yeah, so the, there's a lot of different treatments you can do or, or ways to go about this, uh, what we often refer to as poor man's no-till. Right. Yeah. Which is great for the wildlife. I mean, the places we've got to get, you know. Well, and, it's, you know, not everybody's got a tractor nope. or access to mm-hmm. or even a four-wheeler. No doubt and, about uh, it. And so, being, Bronson, being able to teach guys that, that don't have a lot of equipment that they can still do some of this stuff. Absolutely. And, and don't be afraid. You know, I, I know you, you read the, the magazine articles and the TV shows, and it's best-case scenario, and you'll right. see, a, you know, a 70, 80, 100-horsepower uh, tractor with a cat. Well, that's most people are, are doing this. Yeah. Don't be afraid to tinker a little bit. So maybe, you'd like Bobby said, you don't even have an ATV. Well, you can get a backpack sprayer, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you can seed by hand. There's a lot of stuff you can do, and don't be afraid to try it. Yeah, and that guy still needs to fertilize now. We need to point that out. Uh, and, and, and get the pH right. Y- yes. and, and, and you <laughs> that, know, and that, there's, that old pho is important. And, and yeah, we've the... learned, Bronchi, <laughs> talking about that backpack sprayer. You're using that to kill weeds. Well, you can use that same backpack sprayer a little bit later to put down some fertilizer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. So there's, uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way, guys. Right. I know, Dudley, you've done this. I don't know if y'all tested or not, but the throwing mow. Hey, did y'all try any scenarios with throwing mow? We, we did not. Gotcha. No. That's, I mean, that's good that y'all are trying different things. Yeah, 100%. Uh, the throw and mow has worked really well for me, and uh, I do have a tractor with a bush hog, uh, but we didn't fool with the disc, and we just used a shoulder spreader. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we did use the, the tractor to put out the fertilizer, but, um, you know, you don't have to have that. Um, and, Bobby, and I like were, using the over-shoulder thing. I feel like I'm in, you know in much better control. On. Yes, you know yeah, what's going on. Especially with the smaller seated stuff or the, the thing that mounts on the front of the three-wheeler, four-wheeler. Yeah, I, I like seeing how far out my seeds are going. And you lose some of that on some equipment. Yeah, you do. And, Bobby, like you mentioned a moment ago, I, you know, I would rather have a food plot. I, I would rather to limit my machinery, the equipment I had available, and have good soil amended properly and have to do it by hand than to have soil that has not been amended and the pH is, is drastically wrong and still have access to a tractor and a drill. That's a yeah. great so, point. I mean, it just shows you the power of the things you can do without that equipment. Well, yeah. I think if Toxie were here, I think he would jump in and say, guys, if, you, if you've got 10 food plots, you're better off to do one right, right. and amend the soil and do everything right than you are to... To halfway do ten of them, yeah, yeah, and, and, and I've seen that myself. Oh sure. no, especially if you're going to till it, you know, if you're going to flip the dirt over, you may as well. You obviously should do it right, um, but if you're not going to get in there and till it, and you're slowly building your soil up and, and making it better, then some of that throw and mow type stuff can be better than nothing. Yeah. Lanny, you got a question? Yeah. Was there a particular uh, forage that did better on the uh, the, the lesser prepared soils than others? Oh, i got to think about that. 
Um, I saw some really good photos. I mean, that was... We pretty much used the same mix, Lanny, this past year, but that's something to think about in the future. In other words, uh, in all the different plots with varying levels of being prepared or really dry or really wet or something, we kind of evaluated the same mix. Gotcha. So we didn't alter a mix for this soil versus that, so I don't think we can answer that. Um, Actually, you're testing the method. We, yeah, yeah, and so we standardized with, with wheat and, and a clover mm-hmm. is what we were looking at, and it performed well on all situations, mm-hmm. some better than others, but we got to stand. Yeah, you got to mm-hmm. stand. You know, what, what y'all do in the research is very interesting, but it's so um, can be affected by weather so much from year to year. And so being able to, in your position, to sit down and be able to study, well, we got ample rain this time around, and this is the results, and then be able to also say, well, we did not get enough enough rain. And and being able to apply that, I'm sure that's a big part of your analysis. It is, and it's even evaluating, like, uh, nutrient density or quality. You know, that, that plays a big role in crude protein. So you got to, when you're evaluating a plant, you got to make sure you evaluate it on the good years and the bad years. So you can get a 5% or more swing in crude protein, uh, whether it had sufficient rain and moisture or not. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. The plant has to be growing. That That is when it's going to be most palatable mm-hmm. and have the greatest amount of crude protein when it's lush and growing. When it starts shutting down, we say the word senescence or senescence, then it becomes more uh, lignified, fiber, et cetera. And it's not growing. It's less palatable, less nutrients, et cetera. So yeah, Bobby, to answer your question, yeah, you got to consider that. And then utilization cages, I'm sure y'all have got those going. Really, we always tell people they need to put up utilization cages, but you can learn so much by putting a few of those up and, and watching what these plants look like as they mature. It's absolutely critical. And most people are shocked at what their food plot was capable of doing when it's protected from deer. Mm-hmm. You know, so many calls you will get with my food plot failed. This is terrible. It didn't get over ankle high. Well, the deer really liked your food plot yeah. and didn't allow it to get over ankle high. So in a perfect world, how what size cages are y'all putting out? Are they three or four feet in diameter? Or? Yeah, that, that, that's that's about right. I wouldn't want to get like less than two foot diameter, and, and that's going to be even really top heavy as well. So we typically shoot for a yard mm-hmm. diameter is, is what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to take this opportunity to mention uh, last time I went out there uh, with the exclusion cages, everything in all of their research plots was nibbled on, and the ryegrass field you could not tell a difference. It was just growing tall. The deer had not touched it. So I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Drop all, that my, in there. all the people like that, that are pro ryegrass. Well, there uh, you can't find a biologist that'll be pro ryegrass. Uh, Bronson, we're on the radio. You can't shake your head. You've got, you've got, you've got to talk. <laughs> I, I, I naturally nod my head. Um, uh, yeah, That's so, a little off subject, but... There, there's a couple reasons for that, if I may. Soapbox, may I? Sure, sure. Yeah, on but it? of course. <laughs> and the um, thing you have to keep in mind, too, is a lot of people will plant ryegrass. And, and why did it, you know, permeate the food plot world 20 years ago? Well, it grows anywhere. Back oh. of your truck. Oh, yeah. It'll grow. You can have, quote, a beautiful green field with ryegrass. And deer will eat it. They will. Absolutely. But it's like anything with plant selection, it is relative to what is available. And so when you do these trials with what is available, relatively speaking, is that deer typically will choose the wheat or oat or cereal rye over ryegrass. But even if they didn't, here's here's the, the, the biggest issue in my mind, even if they selected all of those the same way, if you're interested, as you should be, in, in nutrition, come springtime into summer, that means clover. And if you have a plot of ryegrass and you do that two or three years in a row, ryegrass is a prolific reseeder to the extent it becomes invasive. Mm. It will completely dominate the site. And so that completely takes away the ability for you to add that clover to the plot 
uh, come, come spring and summer. And all you will see if you go uh, to one of those fields or plots in May is brown, rank ryegrass. Yep. And right adjacent to it, where you control that, you will see lush clover. What I, would you want? I don't know. Clover? But I've, I've seen it enough to know that if, if your great uncle planted ryegrass out there 20 years ago, it's still uh, and there. It gets food plotted every year. Like we see it at Macon. Oh, we see it everywhere. Uh, you go and disc and prepare. You know, fertilize lime. Put your proper seed out. Cultipack. Whatever you need to do. You come back two months later. Ninety percent of the species you see is ryegrass. Yeah. Um, and it's not being eaten by deer. Right. No. <laughs> so uh, that's frustrating. Anyway. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing that I up. Wanted to, that. Yeah. I wanted Mike, to mention that. Uh, did y'all test for, I mean, I, I, it seems like this study was more about planting techniques, I guess. Is there anything else that y'all were testing for, or was it primarily around planting techniques? Well, we, we wrapped up a couple years ago. We had one where we were really looking at selection, you mm-hmm. know. and uh, and As like species selection or site selection? It, it was less about species and more about the, the nutrients okay. that, that were available because every species has a little bit more of this and a little bit less. Less of that, but but it, it was it was really about they they were chasing uh, protein, mm-hmm. and so it was where they could maximize protein and decrease fiber. That was that was what they went after, gotcha. and that's what every food plot, if you have a good mix, you are providing. Mm-hmm. And so you've got different forages that are actively growing at different times of the year, and that is essentially what the deer were keying on. What is growing best? So does that play into the hands of a blend? That's, Absolutely, that, that, that's designed to, to produce uh, early. Mid Absolutely, and late. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will say, and I completely agree, if you are really, really, you know, extremely limited on your funds, um, can you have a highly successful food plot with only a cereal grain? Absolutely you can. But now you just start adding more attraction and more biomass when you start adding in different maturation times and different forages because they are peaking in their growth and maturation at different times. And so again, I mean, I, I just don't think you can beat a cereal grain, a clover or two, and a brassica. Mm-hmm. You just hit all of the different months of the hunting season and even into spring when you do something like that. Have you spent much time around the, the winter peas? A, a, a little. I've planted them s- several times, yes. It, it, have you had good success with them? I would call it the soybean of cool season food plots. Yeah, I was about to say, you can hardly find one in a plot after six or eight weeks unless you've got a utilization cage. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'll see it in the cage. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just super impressed with the yeah. with the winter piece. It does not have the, uh, the browse resistance. And so I would say, you know, you probably need to plant more of it. Um, if, if you're going to hope to keep deer using it week after week. So I planted quite a few this, this fall based on some success I'd had previously. I was real impressed. But would you say it's fair to describe the plants as fragile? They just seem so delicate. The winter peas? Yes, yes. In layman's terms, they like it a lot, and it's not a whole lot of plant, and they eat it all out before... It really has a chance to mature. It's I've never seen like a mature winter pea. Yeah, they're pretty. It's pretty impressive looking yeah. when you see it. And it's a pretty plant. Yeah, I know that but sounds it, weird, but it's, no, it's I can't really, when I it comes to bloom, trees, it's a pretty, pretty plant. plants, all kind of stuff. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, with the, what else from your study? What are we not asking that we should be asking to learn from your study? Um. Yeah, let me ask this while you're thinking about that. How did our that non-typical clover do in your? It, it looked really, really well, and it's still performing. What are we May recording here? What are we the tenth? We are, and it still looks fantastic. Yeah, that's, that, it's that, been a good clover. Yeah, year, that's a good product. It is good. So, wait, Max waving at me. Do you need to go to the restroom? What no, I'm okay. I went before. Yeah, bathroom <laughs> break, boss. Uh, <laughs> while we're on clover, what do you suggest to? food plotters as the best time to clip their clover in the warm season growing period once they start flowering. What what do you look for? Like a ha- half of the field in flowers is brown, 75% or kind of what do you look for? Well, my colleague Craig Harper and his students just finished up some research with that. 
And what, what they have determined is that you just don't need to mow clover at, at all. Really? Yeah. Wow. At all. That's interesting. Hey, man, we've got some groundbreaking info That's coming good out. for you. Dudley doesn't like to do anything, so <laughs> yeah. this is perfect. No, no reason I'm to never clover. Did anyway. <laughs> um, they, they did an excellent study, and, and they checked every box and uh, the, the efficacy of doing that. So they looked at it from a perspective of, are you improving the quality of the forage? Because it has a lot of intuitive appeal that if you're clipping it and getting the regrowth, and what they determined at the scale of the plot when you use the average is that you're not increasing the quality um, over, the, over the scale of the plot. Let me explain that a little bit better. Is if you have a, a really big plant, and I know, Bobby, I'm using my hands and people, yeah, no. but <laughs> if you have a really big plant and, and the, the, the tips of that very big plant is, is growing, You've got a lot of biomass that's growing. Now, cut that plant half in two, and you do have a lot more growth on the smaller plant. But if you were to weigh it out of how much of the plant is growing, there is. There is a lot of, of uh, high-quality bio. Uh, there's a lot of high-quality foliage here, but it does not supersede the amount of biomass, the, tonnage. the, the, ton, the relative tonnage. Yeah. Very, I hope very that makes, interesting. If I so then the yeah. weed control is through herbicides. Uh, the weed control can be through herbicides or depending on how well your clover is growing, uh, are you managing the weeds well already? Mm-hmm. And so where they were at, they really weren't having a lot of weed pressure that needed to be addressed, certainly not through mowing. And so they did not see an increase in weeds in the mowed versus uh, unmowed. So they didn't see that mowing helped with that at all. And, and then lastly, they monitored deer use. And so you would think, well, we mowed it and we got all this new growth. Fresh and the growth, deer yeah. going to be? No, that, that, that was not huh. the case at all. So as Craig would say, just leave the bush hog part. Leave the mower part. Matt gets the question of the day. Uh, yeah, that is good, Matt. That, that was really good. That That's fascinating, you know, because uh, we get asked that a lot. A people, lot. People and are trying to figure out just what to do, how to do it. And the old school way was when that plot was a little over 50% blooming. Clip you, it. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of hard to tell when it, that, that to put a percentage on, it is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Dudley, because he'll get out there at one. Two, <laughs> four, and we've invited uh, Dr. Harper. We're we're mm-hmm. working out some dates. Our people are talking to his people. They get him on, on the podcast. Here, Please so. ask him that question. He will answer it a heck of a lot better than I did. But uh, in, in his mind, with the data, he's it's not his opinion. It's their data, and they have presented it at scientific comp- conferences. And it's it's. Uh, it's very hey, we compelling. We got to start spreading the word about that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're we're talking about having them in early June. So yeah, yeah. I've got questions. Yeah. Like, you know, like what I if it's full do. of Johnson grass or something like that? Well, I mean, you just let the Johnson grass. Well, and no, I think in that case, yeah, you've got to address the, the Johnson grass. So I think this would be a, I guess. Maybe it's not typical for uh, you, Dudley, or me, but maybe it's typical for a Craig Harper plot. Didn't have a lot of weed pressure, but there were certainly weeds in there at all. For sure, well, we understand. But it wasn't you know, overrunning yeah. the plot, right? Clipping for you know applying applying herbicide on the growth factor, but hmm, very but interesting for stuff. The clover. But just for the clover, doesn't need clip. Hmm. Sweet. Yeah, I think yeah, and and the, the weed part of that that's going to take some special. That's going to be a, it. Depends. I think yeah. dealing with that. But I think, Bobby, where, where it began years ago was you were increasing the quality yeah. of the clover yeah. by mowing it. Right. I think it was almost kind of like pruning it. You yeah. Know? That's yeah, right. you, you were pruning it. Wow. And, and yeah, so that is the case. The, the new foliage that is growing is of very high quality, but it does not supersede what is already there. Nice. Interesting. The tonnage that's already there. More yeah. reasons to plant clover. Yeah, I, I tell you this. The more I learn about clover, just the, the more excited I am. And, you know, we're in the, a really hot part of the south. Well, we've had so, difficulty growing clover, so, I mean, it's understandable. But this, I mean, non-typical has provided us with some success. Yeah, and it's all about timing and for, for the planting. I mean, planting this in this part of the world where we are, it's kind of 
uh, late Octo- mid, mid-October, late September, mm-hmm. mid-October when we can plant our clovers. And if you're in Wisconsin, Minnesota, those, pl- those guys are planting them in the spring mm-hmm. of the year. So timing right is critical yeah. on clovers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So uh, what is the uh, uh, the the research that you guys have going on? Is, will this continue each year? Are we what expand y'all studying it? next? Yeah. Oh, we're going to do more of, of the same, and we, we really want to get into the – and it really hit us this past fall. And, again, it may not have been on your properties you were managing, but we really had a hard time with, with the timing. It was either too wet – uh, for the longest time, we couldn't get in, and then once we got seed in the ground, we were dry. We were like mid-October or late October, and then we had like three weeks, you know, where it was just really dry, and we just started thinking about we got to start working on techniques so that you can work around this, and if you can't get your equipment in there, what are some alternative methods? And, like, that's really going to help a lot of people. Yeah, doing that. that is. No doubt yeah, I heard a lot of that around the office. Well, it's just too wet to get in there. Well, I just mm-hmm. threw my seed on the surface and boom. Mm. Yeah. Well, we are farming for wildlife, so there are just so many variables that come into it. I mean, the, the farmers, bless their hearts, they, they, they have to put oh, up with this make every year. Farm. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, look... Well, why don't we let's ask him? Let's let's change it's gears time a little bit here. Oh, it's that so, time. Mac, oh, what, what, we got a what trivia are we question. For? Who's playing? What we got? Yeah. So our podcast procurement team gave me this review from Duche Leaps. Duche. <laughs> so wait a minute now. <laughs> what, let's, what's let's, the let's, podcast let's, procurement team? Who's on that <laughs> roll? So Bobby Bronson, oh. <laughs> we have a trivia question. If you get it right, one of our listeners that has given us a review. <laughs> Well, have a chance to win a prize. If you get the question right, they win a nice prize. If you win the, if you get the question wrong, they still win a lesser prize. So I don't feel as bad. Yes. Yeah. So, so Mac, who are we playing for? Yeah. Again? What's this Is person's that a French name? name? Uh, Duche leaps. Okay. All right. Well, Is he from Louisiana? Did, what kind of review did they give us? It was a good review. It was it was a great podcast with tons of interesting conversation and research that will translate to increased success in the field. Keep on rolling, baby. Touche. Oh, this, this may be one of those French Touché, listeners huh? that we have. So, we're, good we're, cover uh, there, Mac Mac. All right. So uh, go ahead with the uh, with the question, Mac. All right, Dr. Bronson. A group of quail are referred to as a covey. Turkeys, a flock. What is a group of hummingbirds referred to as? Is this your question? (laughs) Can I phone a friend? Uh, Well, you certainly can. No doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, A bouquet. Oh. I'm going to say a bouquet. Oh, my goodness. He gets it right. That is it. So Duche Leaps received <laughs> a Avery Heritage Collection game strap. And as for the, hopefully Duche Lips is a uh, is a duck hunter, and he'll be able to enjoy uh, that that Avery bird uh, lanyard. That, that's a really nice bird lanyard. I, I so how fast was that? Your friend here is on Google over there. Uh, and, yeah. I think he pulled that out. Yeah, he's right. amazing. And shame on you, Bobby. What's that? Shame on you. <laughs> I s- doctored up my Merlin ID call so it would pick up your squawking <laughs> exactly. over there. And you throw a curveball <laughs> like that to me. Oh, my uh, goodness. He really saying that. <laughs> yes. Wow. And well, I guess we're batting 100%. Yeah, we are. So... That was that was a good question though. Did anybody know what a, a, I did I was, not? I thought you were going to ask. In my mind, I was thinking was. like swarm or something. No, yeah, like, what are the other so a flock of Herman birds can be, be referred to as a bouquet, a glittering, a hover, a shimmer, or a tune. I tell you so, what, there's a lot around my house right now. They're a fascinating little bird. Very interesting to watch. Yeah. They migrate by themselves. 500, up to 500 miles at a time by themselves. That little bitty bird, I know, isn't that amazing? It's hard to believe. Thank you, Mr. Know-it-all. Yeah. Okay, Richie. Wait, you woke He's woke up now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, now this is the part of the show, uh, Bronson, we hand it over to Dudley. He does the Ask Dudley, and uh, hopefully we can educate somebody. All right. This is this douche lips? <laughs> no, 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 this is actually. <laughs> moving on from that. This is, this is actually Dennis in Kentucky. Hey, Dudley, I planted and caged 20 swamp white oaks I got from you 
And when I went to check them yesterday, most of each leaf was browner in color, sea pick. Do you think I over-fertilized them? I planted and mulched and fertilized them last Friday. And when I came back to check them on Tuesday, they look like this. Is there anything I can do to save them? Thanks, Dennis in Kentucky. All right. Dennis, I like that name, Dennis. Um, anyway, uh, so... This happened when we first started the nursery. We were growing stuff in three-gallon pots, and we were taking our air-pruned seedlings and mm-hmm. popping them into three gallons. And one day our boss told us to pot a, you know, several hundred of them up and, and set up the irrigation, and we went out and did it. Didn't think twice about it, and the next day I came back, and they were all brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember well. And, uh, you know... Thankfully, they survived because I was worried for my job, but uh, I didn't, I had no idea uh, that I was supposed to acclimate them. Uh, You know, a lot of us are pretty self-taught over there and uh, learn from my mistakes. But that's what it sounds like happened to Dennis, and I saw the photos. Um, So think about it like your seedlings uh, are grown pretty close together in in a nursery scenario. So the lower leaves don't see uh, direct sun very often. And to top that off, they're placed in a box and they're shipped and they're in that dark box for two to three days, maybe four, depending on where you are. And then you take them out of the box and stick them in direct sunlight. So um, it's been a while since I've taken seventh grade biology where we talk about chlorophyll and all of that stuff. But my understanding is the chloroplasts when they're not exposed to the sun coming up in the east, leaning to the south and setting in the west, uh, they sit there kind of wide open, like give me as much sunlight as you can. Um, And so when you take them out of that dark box, they're just hungry for sunlight. And then you put them in sun, um, and it's kind of like the equivalent of going to the beach after being – in your you know, house all winter. Right, and, and getting burned. <laughs> like they, Bobby. It's <laughs> like they need to get a tan, but uh, the word for that is acclimate. And so they have to get used to that sun going across the horizon every day and following it um, instead of just sitting there wide open uh, for more sun. And so what you can do when you get your order or, or grow, you know, just say you grew your own plants or something, you need to move them. Uh, slowly out into the sun. Uh, what worked for me, uh, I used to have a trampoline in my backyard, and I'd put them under the trampoline the first day. Or you can put them under a shade tree or, or maybe on the north-facing side of your house. And then the next day, uh, when, the, when you get up in the morning, you can put them out in the direct sun for 20 or 30 minutes before you go to work. When you come home, put them back in the direct sun for 20 or 30 minutes. Um, and acclimate them. So they're getting used to seeing that sun go across the horizon. And then maybe the second day, uh, put them outside for the last two hours of full sun. And then the third day, you can plant them in the full sun. Or put them directly inside a tree tube instead of in a cage, so you don't have to acclimate them. Um, and, and the same goes, you yeah. know, when you... You if need the tree tube anyways. I'm just yeah, you really it. do need the tree tube anyway. The other thing to do would be to plant them on a, on a cloudy day when the, when the sun isn't direct. Uh, folks in the Midwest, if you're, uh, you know, a lot of people will start their plants like in a, a sunroom or even people are getting these fancy lights and trying to grow them in a closet or the basement or something, but they're not used to the wind and they're not used to the direct sun either. So uh, even the wind shaking around can mess them up. So you just you just need to acclimate them, transition them slowly, and then then put them out in the elements. Thank you, Dunny, that was really good. It, uh, it, you know, it, it, these trees are delicate. Uh, they're complex is what they really are. Right. And there's a lot to it. And, Dennis, if they don't make it, they probably will leaf back out again. Give, give me a holler. Maybe we can work something out. There you go. Bronson, is there anything else we need to ask you? Anything you want to promote? Uh, uh, anything coming up at Mississippi State? Uh, I guess the biggest thing is, uh, of course, uh, 
conversations like we're having here about food plots and deer biology and stuff, check out our, our podcast, Deer University. Uh, we're really trying to get our uh, YouTube channel up and running. We're trying to grow that, so please tune in to that Those as well. Those guys are everywhere. The right? cameras are everywhere. Well, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I would highly recommend people uh, tune in. You guys talk about some interesting topics. Great. Yeah, please do. Yeah, they sure do. Lanny, what about you? Have you got anything left? I, pretty much it, man. Learn something every time Bronson comes in here. It's just uh, he's great to have him and to be able to pick his brain all the time. So thank yeah. you, Bronson. Yeah, you're welcome. And Lanny, you you didn't say horn this time. I, I did not. I didn't have right. to correct you and say <laughs> antler. So uh, you know, we're making progress. It's taken yeah. many years, but I'm making progress. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, guys. Before we close up, I just wanted to say one word. There's a uh, Ray Scott passed away oh, yeah. Sunday night, and he was just such a special. He was a visionary. Person. He was he was a groundbreaker for he, the whole he, industry. He, really he was. just changed our our whole industry. Yeah, and uh, you know, I grew up in Montgomery, so very familiar with the Scott family and uh, Wilson and Steve. And it's my heart's breaking for him because uh, they had a special dad. And uh, and and what had, I mean, he I can't think of anybody that influenced the fishing industry more. I mean, he. he he no doubt, such an impact trail. trail. So, no doubt about it. So I just wanted to say that uh, you know our company, my, we we did a post a couple of nights ago on Monsieur Oak, but we just want the uh, the family to know that we uh, they're in our thoughts and prayers. So there we go. So uh, Mac, you got anything else? You wake up over there, there, and uh, Dudley, why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac. Mac. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast, and be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.